Praise God. It's great to be with you. I'm so glad that we continue to connect this way. I've been so, so proud of how our community has re remained connected and we're staying connected. And, uh, you know, it's been a stretching time. And that's a good thing. Um, God is stretching us and uh, causing us to use muscles that we never used before. And uh, I'm excited about that because I don't think we're ever really going to go back to the way it was. I think God has expanded our, our, our horizon, our territories. He's stretching out our tent pegs. And, um, and that's what resurrection is all about. And that's what we're celebrating today. This is the, the cornerstone. This is the foundation of our faith. Paul said, if Christ be not resurrected, we are the most miserable of all people. But he is alive. He is alive, and, uh, and we get to celebrate that today, and, uh, and, and actually we celebrate that every day, that he's alive. He lives in me. He lives in you, and he, he, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. You know, now we've been through several weeks of this coronavirus, and uh, we know that God is in control. We do believe this is going to be the finest hour for the church, and we're rising up and stepping into who we are. You know, just uh, two weeks ago when my wife spoke, on, she gave a message on Esther, and I was so stirred in the midst of that message, and um, I just kept hearing the words that the Lord spoke over Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Over and over again. The Lord would say this. He spoke to Joshua, be courageous, be strong, and very courageous. And my sense is that God wants us to fully step into our identity as sons and daughters right now. No more to have a timidity, uh, insecurity about who we are or whether God will back them up. But he wants us to be his ambassadors. This, this time which really is kind of a shaking around the world. It's a shaking uh, of all men. Uh, the economy is shaking. Uh, um, you know, people are concerned about their jobs, people in our own community. But God is saying, be strong and very courageous. He wants us to step into something that he's, that he's doing that is going to shift things for the gospel. I want to tell you that he always provides for his people. So... He's going to provide for you in this time. Even if you're, you know, if you've been furloughed or let go, just know the provision, God's provision is there. And he's going to continue to provide for his people. And we're going to see great victory. But people are going to be looking around for something solid that they can plant their feet on. And we know that the only thing solid is the foundation stone, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is, you know, the revelation that Peter received that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So exciting. You know, when we go through tough times, we always have to remember that um, there's a third day. And this, this is the third day. This is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, that 
that Friday night or whenever exactly it was, uh, you know, that Passover night when Jesus shared a Last Supper, a Passover meal with his disciples, went into the Garden of Gethsemane, laid out his heart before the Father, uh, felt the agony of it and said, God, if it were possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he went to the cross, and all the disciples watched as he went to the cross. And uh, it was a sad day. It was a dark day in their minds. They didn't understand. It was interesting because the word of God tells us that even the principalities and the powers of the air had no idea what was happening. It said, had they known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But even though it was revealed in scripture, it was prophesied about, you know, and Jesus told uh, even his disciples that just like Jonah was three days in the belly of, of the whale, so will the Son of God be, or the Son of Man be, as he put it at the time. And, but still, even though he, he's, and, and he warned them uh, of what was to come and spoke to them, they really didn't get it. They really didn't get it. And I think it was purposeful. I think there was a blindness over the hearts of men because uh, it was the, the unfolding of the plan of God, the plan of salvation that would ultimately crush the head of Satan underneath the feet of Jesus. And he would be the second Adam. He would be the Savior that through faith in Christ Jesus, we would all come into this deep relationship with God, which is what it's all about. It's about relationship. <coughs> I was just reading about righteousness, and uh, righteousness in the Hebrew actually is a relational word. It's to walk in right standing with God relationally so that it's this relationship is so much more important to me. I will do nothing to harm the relationship. And so we walk with God in such a way that you don't want anything to distance you from God. And that's how we walk in righteousness, because we don't want anything coming before us. And when we walk in a relational context with him and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, then we, can, we, we, we experience the fullness of his grace. Can't do it on our own. All of our trying doesn't work. But stepping into his grace, walking in relationship with him, we experience the righteousness that only comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to I talk about this Resurrection Sunday. I want to read some of the passages. And if you will, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Kinda, I want to focus in on Peter and John, uh, the account, and how Peter and John, their relationship with Jesus, how they process things. I find it very interesting because to me, you know, Peter was a very uh, regular guy, right? He was a fisherman, and uh, he was, um, you know, he was, Peter was very impulsive. As we read throughout the, the scripture, we see Peter was a, just a very impulsive guy. He wasn't patient. He wasn't uh, always understanding, wasn't uh, the smartest guy in the room. It didn't seem to be. He didn't always get it. And, uh, but Jesus loved him and chose to use Peter in a great, great way. And, uh, and likewise, John had a different relationship with the Lord. You know, John the Beloved. John was, to me, John was more the contemplative. 
John would be the guy who ultimately would go and, and spend his last days of his life on the island of Patmos and receive all of the revelation uh, and write the book of Revelation. And it was because he had this contemplative, he was more of the, he was more of the introvert. Peter was more the extrovert out there saying the first thing that come in, came into his head, he would just speak it out. I kind of want to look at them in the context of the resurrection. And I, I, I want to speak this because I really think it gives hope to all of us. Because Jesus didn't work with the, um, you know, you didn't have to be the most highly educated. He took one of the most highly educated, Paul, right, knocked him off his high horse, humbled him. <laughs> And, uh, and then used him to propagate the gospel. So whether you're highly educated or you're a blue-collar fisherman, Jesus uses us all. Come as you are. And uh, it's amazing what the Lord is doing. So turn with me. Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm just going to start to read through, and <coughs> I'll pause and interject at times. Beginning of verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom, whom Jesus loved, and, he, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple, and they, they were going to the tomb. Verse 4. So they both, Peter and John, ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Being This is John outran Peter. And he came to the tomb first. Now John, stooping down, looked in and saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet John did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went out into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. I find that interesting. John outruns Peter to the tomb when they hear this crazy story. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. He's not there. This is nuts. She tells Peter and John, they go running. John sprints ahead. But John, being a little more reserved, gets to the tomb. He's not running in. You know, he's kind of looking in, checking it out. John's reserved. Peter goes straight into the tomb. Peter's brash. He's impetuous. Uh, and, and this is kind of Peter's story all the time, whether he's telling Jesus you know, what to do uh, when Jesus is telling them they're going to crucify me. He's like, you know, let me bring you aside. That we're not going to let them do that, Jesus. And Jesus has to rebuke Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. <coughs> Peter speaks without thinking. Peter runs into situations. And, uh, and he's, he's, he's courageous. But there's a difference between Peter and John. So Peter goes in. And then John comes in after him. And they look. And they're confused. Even though Jesus had told them, you know, he was going to be crucified and on the third day he would rise again, they really didn't get it. There was a, there was a blindness over their eyes. Um, and we pick up with the scripture um, where it says, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. 
Let's continue. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Then when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he spoke her name, she recognized him. And she said, Rabboni, teacher. There was like a pulling back of the veil. Jesus said, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and to your God. That's just a great, I just pause there. I'm ascending to my father and your father. To my God and to your God. Just so amazing, um, the identity. Like Jesus, the son of the living God, the, you know, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. Putting, letting his disciples know that they are fully adopted into this family of God as sons and daughters. I'm going to my father, Mary, and to your father. He's your father as well, Mary. It just If we could get that revelation of who we are to God, that relationship that he came, this was what it was all about. Restore us into the relationship that was lost in the garden. This is what Christianity is all about, the restoration of all things. And it began right here. So Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Right from there, he was commissioning them and breathing on them the Holy Spirit that would empower them in the days to come to take this gospel to the four corners of the earth. This was the plan of redemption. This was the start of this greatest story ever told. Okay, let's skip over to, to John 21. And I want to, this is where I really start, want to start to focus on Peter and John because Peter's not feeling too good at this point. Peter was very impetuous when, God, when the Lord, when Jesus was trying to talk to Peter and explain to him what must happen. Peter was having none of it. 
He kept telling Jesus, we're not going to let that happen. When Jesus said, everybody's going to betray me, he said, look, Peter was, look, I don't care if everybody betrays you, I, not me. I'm with you to the end. Even if I have to die, I'm with you. Uh, actually, let's turn. Turn with me to Mark 16. I just, I just want to want to clarify. I'm sorry, Luke. I meant let's turn to Luke 22, beginning at verse 31. Um, it's important for us to understand the scriptures. Okay, so Luke 22, beginning at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Wow. If the Lord ever speaks a word like that to you, it's time for, it's a little time for self-reflection. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes words come our way. We don't know how to receive them. You know, I remember I got a word years ago about a, a challenging time. Uh, Cindy Jacobs gave me a word about a challenging time that was coming ahead for me. And I remember after hearing the word, I turned to a friend and said, uh, that really wasn't very encouraging. I didn't know how to receive that. Subsequently, I, I went through a, an a couple of years of, of, uh, of, a ch of extreme challenge and um, kind of wish I knew then what I'm teaching about now. But you get a kind of a word like that. I think we need to say, God, strengthen me, help me to understand, help me to be ready, help me to navigate times that are challenging. Listen, challenging times come to everyone. We're not immune from challenging times. But we have to ask God, give us the grace and the fortitude to always have our eyes fixed on you in the midst of, of the challenge. Unfortunately, and I think, I feel like I was very similar to Peter. That's why I take courage from Peter's life. I take courage from Peter's, you know, sort of brashness and impetuousness and thinking he knows it all. Um, I mean, I'm humbled in saying, God, help me because you know so much more than me. Um, but if there's hope for Peter, I think there's hope for some of us, for me too. Uh, but Peter answers, instead of like taking that and being reflective and asking God to strengthen him, he said, he, uh, Peter says to the Lord, Lord, none of that. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall crow this day before you will deny me three times. Peter's Peter hears that, but he's, he's having none of it. He, 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 he's like, there's no way. Everyone else might deny you, but not me. Okay, so let's go back to John because this is interesting. John 21 now. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. They've seen him. He's breathed on everybody. But they're still a little confused. They're, they're still not fully getting it. And uh, let's look at John 21, beginning at verse 1. 
after these things, after what? After Jesus just breathed on him. We just read that. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, you know, the guy from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and then two other disciples. They're all together, about seven of them. Simon Peter said to them, look, I don't know what's up. I'm just going to go fishing. That's what he knew to do. You know, that, that's most of us. We return to what's familiar. We're trying to get some stability in our lives. We were following Jesus. We thought he was going to restore the kingdom at this time. Everything's been turned upside down. I don't know what to do. I'm going to get some comfort from doing what I know is familiar. I'm going fishing. That was his job. That was his occupation. <coughs> Peter. So, so the other said, all right, we'll go with you. So they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out, and immediately they got into the boat. And that night, guess what? They caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, so they're out there fishing all night, they catch nothing. Now they're probably feeling really depressed. You know, their world was set in confusion. How many have been in a place? I know I've, I, there's been times I've been in that place where, what the heck is going on? I don't know how to make any sense of what just happened. And they're trying to go back to something that's familiar to get a little, uh, you know, I, I need some stability. I'm going back to what I know to be stable. And then they go out there and nothing. And then uh, Jesus stood on the shore in the morning. Come the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus on the shore. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. We've been out here all night. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, this was not unusual because fishermen at the time, when you're standing up on the shore, you have more of a panoramic, you know, a panoramic view of the, the lake or the sea. And you can see the shadows moving, which are the sea, which are the the fish under the sea. So it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to say there's a school of fish to your right or to your left. It was their version of, uh, you know, radar. I think modern fish, the fishermen, they have these radar to see where the schools are. But that they would stand up there and say they're on this side. <coughs> so he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. And so what happens? Do you ever have a moment in time when you get triggered and you remember something? Like something happens and you say, wait, like this is deja vu all over again. Like I remember this, like this, wait a second. John has a moment. I want, I want to just take you to, to John's moment, if you will. Turn with me to Luke 5. Because you often wonder, like, why did John all of a sudden have this revelation, right? John has a moment. But you got to remember Luke 5. Luke 5, beginning at verse 4. 
when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, so, so Jesus was on the shore, he was speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So just to give the context, Jesus is preaching, the crowds are gathering around him, this is much earlier in his ministry. So Jesus gets on Peter's boat and says, launch out so I can get a little space, so I can actually talk to the multitude because they're crowding me. So Simon has him on the boat, they launch out a little bit, and when he's finished, yeah, they were, he was keeping a little social distance at the time. All right. So, uh, so Jesus, when he's finished, he tells Simon, "Launch now launch out and let down your nets for a catch. Kind of interesting because you can never outgive God. You know, this is a great giving scripture. Peter was willing to lend Jesus his boat, and Peter gets blessed way more uh, because he was willing to, to give into the kingdom. So anyway. So Simon answered, he says to Jesus, Master, look, we were out here all night and we caught nothing. Sound familiar? Out all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, Peter says, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. You know, they had cleaned the nets, they did all of this, but he was like, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had, let, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking, so much so that they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help. Their partners were James and John. This is Peter, I think, and uh, Andrew, his brother Andrew, fishing. Their partners are James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to help them. And they came and they filled both boats, so much so that the boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Listen to this. From now on, you will catch men. So they had brought their boats to land, and they forsook all and took him. Jesus provided for Peter and Andrew, James and John, to follow him for the next year. How? They caught like a whole year's worth of wages in fish. They were fishermen. They fell down. It was like, oh, my God, they got blessed beyond anything they could imagine. So this was like, how many have certain events in life that you will never forget? Okay, this was an event for Simon, for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and an event they'll never forget. Now, I, I want you to remember that because when you fast forward again and we come to John, John has a moment. No one knows it's Jesus on the shore when he says, cast your net on the other side. Then when Simon heard that it was the Lord, okay, so cast your net. Therefore, so they cast a net. They were not able to draw in because of the great multitude of the fish. I'm back in John 21. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. John knew exactly this. I've seen this happen one other time. And it was the Lord. And so even though he's a far way on shore and there's no facial recognition, 
John knows who he is. It is the Lord. Now, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunges into the sea. I don't know. I've always kind of stopped at that. I never understood why he put his outer garment in and then goes swimming. I mean, when I, if I'm jumping in, it gets heavy. It's harder to swim that way. But Peter puts his outer garment. He jumps in. I think part of it, <coughs> Peter's dealing with shame right now. You have to understand, Peter was very, he was a braggadocious kind of guy. He was telling Jesus, man, even if everybody denies you, I won't. I'm willing to even die for you. And, uh, and now he's, he has he denied Jesus three times, and he can't really face him. Uh, he's he's, he's kind of hiding in shame. He has, he's full of self-doubt. Has anybody ever had self-doubt? I have. You know, you, you, you question, can I do this? You know, I thought I could. I'm not all that I thought I was, and you aren't. But God's grace calls you to do things that, you, that are way beyond who you are. And you have to believe not so much in your ability, but in God's ability in you. If he called you to do it, you can do it. And you need to step into that with faith and courage. And that's why I believe I keep hearing the Joshua scriptures. Be strong and have a good courage because we're coming into a time where we have to be bold in our faith, bold in our declaration, bold in our witness, because this is the time of the harvest. This is the time of the great harvest, and men need to hear this good news that we carry. So Peter puts on some extra clothes because I, th I think he's carrying shame, and he's trying, to, he's trying to cover it, and he's using the outward to try to cover what's inward. And uh, he plunges in and swims to shore. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they weren't too far from the land, but about 200 cubits, whatever a cubit is, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Now, Simon Peter went up, and he dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153 fish. And al although there were so many large fish, the net wasn't broken. The net wasn't broken because God doesn't lose any of those who are his. He's marked you. He's called you. He's set you apart for himself. He's not going to lose you. Stay the course. His nets don't break. Stay the course. 153 fish. The net was not broken. He said, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, well, well who are you? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think Jesus in his resurrected form wasn't fully quite. They knew who he was, but there was this, like, you know, question. But none dared ask who, because they all knew this is the Lord. Jesus then came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples, that he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus turns, and now he's, he wants to start to deal with this shame that Peter's dealing with. 
it's very interesting. And just, I just want to give you a different scripture real quick. Mark 16. Mark is the first gospel that was written of the four gospels. Uh, Mark is sort of the shortest gospel, but it, it seems that, you know, Mark had the initial, you know, revelation of to write the gospel. And um, so Jesus comes. This is Mark 16. Uh, it's the Sabbath. Ma Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices to the grave to anoint Jesus, you know, before they knew he was risen. It was very early in the morning. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. They were confused. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. Who do you, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then look at Mark 16, verse 7. I want you to focus on this. Go tell the disciples, go tell his disciples and Peter. Why was Peter singled out in this moment? Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So this is the first of the reports of the resurrection of Jesus. And the message the angel gives is, go tell his disciples and tell Peter. See, the Lord is all about restoration. He's all about bringing us into full sonship. And it's not about who you think you are. It's about allowing him to be fully manifest in our lives. And God will allow our self-strength to, to bring us to a dead end where we, where we can't rely on it anymore, where we start to realize this isn't going to work. This hasn't worked. And Peter is a guy who's full of self-strength. I relate to Peter a lot because I've been full of trying to do it my way for a long time. I mean, I've, I've, quote, surrendered to the Lord, but I've relied a lot on the natural gifts and talents that he's given me. And there are times when that's only going to get you so far, and what you have to lean into is the Lord, and it feels weak. I, I can't do that. That's beyond me. I, it, I can't. That's not who I am. And he's saying, No. It's who I am in you. I want you to step into it. Step out on the water. Come. Surrender. And, and he does it. Now, Peter is learning this the hard way. And I relate because I had to learn it the hard way. But Peter, but, he, but God is all about restoration. You know, he's not surprised by our stuff. He's not surprised when we trigger, when, uh, when our own failures and disappointments, and we think we're finished, we're washed up, he can never use us. We're only really getting to the place where he truly can. When it's not me, it's him. So right from the resurrection, and word is tell his disciples and tell Peter, because I want to restore Peter. So let's go back to uh, John 21. And Jesus 
is deal, decides now is the time he wants to restore Peter. But it's hard on Peter. P he's dealing with shame, you know, when he was, you know, sort of not even fully dressed, fishing. He's like putting on his outer garment because he's trying to cover up something. Uh, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And the word for love that Jesus uses was the same word, you know, was that sacrificial love that I, 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 I would die for you, Jesus. Do you, it's, a, it's called agape. It's the same word for love in John 3.16. When God so, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, would, he was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son. It's a sacrificial love. So Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me enough to die for me? Now, Peter is so full of shame, disappointment, because he said that to Jesus before. Even if they all deny you, I will never. I'm willing to die for you. So Peter can't even deal with this, and he, and he, and he, he feels tortured by this question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, he said to him, so Simon says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. But Peter responds with, Lord, I love you like a friend. Phileo. Different, different word for love. We don't always capture it in the Greek. And so Jesus says to him again, it's, it's an interesting di dynamic, right? Do you love me enough to die for me? Look, I love you like a friend. So, so we said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me enough to die for me? Agape. Peter says, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a friend. And why you keep asking me these questions is the tone of his voice. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. So then Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me like a friend? Now, Peter was grieved because he had already said to, he said to him the third time, do you love me? And this time was like a friend. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a friend. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And this is the amazing thing is here, Jesus is going to prophesy Peter's destiny over him. And he's going to tell him, Peter, when you had your own strength, you thought you had enough in you that you'd be willing to die for me. Now that you've come to the end of your own strength, I can be all I am in you. And you will show, show a love for me that only comes by the Holy Spirit. It says, greater love has no man than he'd be willing to lay down his life for his friend. And so Jesus prophesies over Simon. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger... You girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And he spoke this, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had finished, when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He walked Peter through three denials, three times he asked him, do you love me? Peter, 
he had to deal with the shame that was on Peter, but he was restoring Peter to know that, Peter, you've come to the end of your own strength, but now let me be strong in you. See, the scripture says, I can do all things, not in my own strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And through the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit would come to live in Peter. And Peter could do that which he couldn't do in his own strength if he came to the place of surrender. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm fully restoring you. And the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you. And you will know. You, you will. You will be willing to die for me. And he restores him. This Resurrection Sunday, let us all come to this place of surrender. Not in our self-strength. Let's surrender our self-strength and say, God, come into my heart. Be fully Lord in every area. I want to follow your will. I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to say what you're saying. And God, I'm willing to step out of the boat, to walk on the water, if you say come. And this is the place that Peter was at. This Resurrection Sunday, this is the third day, right? Third day resurrection. We've been faced these past number of weeks with this coronavirus, but there's a third day. It's called a resurrection. And we're all going to step into it. We're all going to step into it. Let's not be like those who drew back. You know, the Israelites saw the signs and wonders coming out of Egypt, but then in unbelief, they wouldn't go into the promised land. God has promised us revival. He's promised us a great outpouring, but it takes faith to step into it now. Let's step into it in the faith of God, knowing this is the time for the outpouring. Let's believe God and step all the way into our promises. There's a resurrection coming. This is what it's all about. Christ was risen from the dead. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, shall we not also live with him together? Amen. That's my message. I hope it blesses you this, this Resurrection Sunday. You guys are amazing. I see you all stepping into a deep purposes of God. Many plans are in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose over your life that will stand. Step into his purposes for your life and let his spirit come. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. Bless you all.